Hey, you're listening to Filmed in Canada. It's a podcast. What's it about? Canadian movies. Cool. I'm William. And I'm Alexander. Thanks for finding us again on among the massive collection of podcast choices you have. Yes. Yeah. I recently went through and uh, unsubscribed to a lot of podcasts, so that felt nice. But I still find that they're piling up. Do you ever like? Do you have like a backlog of episodes that you don't listen to for things that you subscribed to before? Right. Yeah. Some some stuff I'll listen to everything they put out, but uh-huh. a lot of them, if I haven't listened to it in like a month, I'll just delete it. Yeah. Do you have over ten regular shows you listen to? Probably. Yeah. I think I'm at about that number. I'm finding it hard to keep up with some of the ones that I. Um, that I regularly listen to, mm-hmm. so there there is an increasing backlog. But our lucky subscribers don't have that problem because we only do uh, two episodes a month. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, you can uh, you can follow us on Twitter now. Um, so we have a Twitter account which is filmed in Canada. So D U H at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and of course our website is uh, filmed in Canada. Dot net and uh, our Facebook page. Uh, we have a Facebook page as well. You just look for Filmed in Canada. Is that right, Alexander? Yeah, Filmed in Canada podcast. Filmed in Canada podcast. Yeah. So there's. So we're definitely hoping you'll give us your feedback and uh, stay in touch in between episodes. That way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always appreciate any feedback in the form of like a review on the iTunes Store. Yes. And I think I've mentioned in past that if you if you leave us a review, you can um, email us to let us know that it was you, and then uh, give us a recommendation for a future episode. Um, but I think William, you've got a new idea to potentially entice listeners to comment on iTunes. Um, what is that idea? Well, we were uh, we were going to do a future episode about uh, the the best movies filmed in the Vancouver area. Uh, so once we get that ready, we will want to, uh, to have some different people um, voting on that. So uh, just being part of the jury. Uh, so if you leave us an iTunes review, uh, we'll put your name into a hat and uh, we may, we'll, we'll select one or more of you to, uh, to get the email ballot from us. And you can, uh, you can have your vote counted toward that survey episode. Hmm. Um, so, so those who have already uh, submitted uh, reviews, reviews on iTunes Store. Um, we will uh, include your names in the hat already. As, lo- as long as we know who those people are, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you still have to email I, I, us. I think I might know who's reviewed our podcast. Okay. <laughs> Family members, friends, etc. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, we want to hear from more people. And, uh, and email us. What's our email filmedincanada at gmail.com. So please do that. We uh, look forward to hearing from you. Mm-hmm. What, are we, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Leolo. And how did we come about choosing this, um, this movie from Quebec, uh, released in 1992? We came about it because I am just kind of wanting to work through all of the uh, the films on the TIFF Best Canadian Film list, um, which I should have had up, but um, I don't currently. I'm going to try and pull it up, but because just because I'm sure. curious where it is on that list, but it's somewhere in the top right. ten. Yeah. Okay. Um, the um, now the the TIFF list is that um, was that one of these lists that gets renewed every couple of years, or was it just like one master list they? They uh, announced sometimes. Yeah, ago. so that gets renewed every ten years. Okay. Yeah, I've got the list here. So Leolo comes in at number five, uh, behind the Fast wow. Runner, Mon Oncle Antoine, the, the Sweet Hereafter, and Jesus de Montréal. We've only covered uh, Jesus of Montreal on that list, then. Uh, correct. So and the, well, yeah, yeah, and then and then within the top ten, uh, Crazy is also within the top ten. Or Crazy okay. and Stories We Tell are both in the top ten. And then, okay. and, and then I, I've actually compiled all of the ballots on this list 
on Letterboxd. If uh, if anyone's curious to check that out, you can uh, you can just search for TIFF or the or you can search for the 100 greatest Canadian films of all time, or uh, go to my Letterbox page, which is Married to a Fly, and there I actually I collected all of them, all of the ballots because they only released the top ten, which I find kind of silly because then you only know what. 10 good Canadian or potentially good Canadian movies are, you don't get a broader idea. So um, th- I, I put it together and it goes, it goes a bit past a hundred. I basically just cut it off after there were only like three votes for an individual movie. Um, so S on D is just outside of the top 10. Oh, okay. and then it goes down from there. All right. So you're able to find out, what movies were voted for by the different um, different people in the jury, but you but they only released the top ten as a list. As a list, yeah. So you can scroll to the bottom of the page and it says so and so voted for this, 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 and this. And then so okay. I basically spent a few weekends just collecting all of that. Not weekends, but it did probably took a few hours cumulatively. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's good work. Let's not let that go to waste. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> I don't know if it was worth it, but um, it. I mean, it, it, there's there's some good movies in there, so and 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 it's definitely worth considering more than ten movies to represent our country. That's true. Yeah, there's uh, um, there's there's a lot of attention paid to the top ten. Yeah, which and and uh, I think sometimes like what 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 is also in the running is is uh, very interesting too. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, like th- they can be a fairly poor representation in a lot of cases. I would say just like one of the things I'm thinking of is I just watched the I just finished watching the Three Colors trilogy for it. Mm-hmm. I have seen it before, but um, like those movies are way down on the Sight and Sound top 250 list because like you they have to be considered as individual films. So some people vote for blue, some people vote for red. White isn't on there, but um, if they were considered, if the trilogy was considered a single work of art, I would think that they would show up a lot higher. Or, or like the Decalogue used to be near the top of that list, but uh, but disappeared from it altogether because it's now considered ten separate movies as opposed to one ten-hour-long movie. Whereas, whereas um, Jacques Rivette's Out One, which is also like a ten-hour-long thing that I think originally aired on television, that is considered a single thing that is on the sight and sound list. So it's just kind of weird. I guess it's hard to compare like a series of movies that are one work rather uh, against individual movies. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that is, yeah, kind of apples and oranges in a way or, or like different different species of apples. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm looking uh, just at the wikipedia page for leolo and uh, in 2005 time magazine put it on their top 100 movies of all time list wow so is this is this on your top 100 movies of all time list uh sorry for the long pause (laughs) maybe maybe uh it's in the hundred in that top hundred but uh wow i've never thought to keep that many movies in the running of favorites, because <laughs> <Yeah>. when you get <laughs> and, into and also and also to have all of them ranked, ranked in your, in your yeah, head, that's, yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, like when you when you, I think it's easy to, when you consider favorites. I think it's easy to make a, a list of ten or twenty. Yeah, but when you're but when you have to go into like this is my eightieth favorite something, it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, I tried to do it one time, and I basically just came up with a list of a hundred movies that I really like, and yeah. then and then the ranking was just, do I like this more than this? And then I would put it above that kind of thing. Okay, so it wasn't yeah. wasn't very precise. Has someone made an app for that? Probably. I mean, that it's it's basically just a list app. Yeah, and then you'd have to like you'd have to enter all these. Uh, titles that come to your head and yeah. then then you, ha- it, you have to have some sort of ranking criteria and then it keeps sorting the list based yeah. on that i guess yeah oh oh that it would automatically sort them for yeah. you okay yeah yeah um well yeah i don't think that exists okay but who knows well, 
Yeah. So what's this movie about? It's about growing up. Except that the kid it, mainly stays the same age. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think it's fair to warn our listeners, uh, this discussion is going to spoil elements of the movie. Sure. And but it's all a dream. <laughs> I don't think it'll ruin it necessarily if you haven't seen it. So. No. So this is just a way of inviting listeners to continue listening if you haven't seen this movie from 1992. Right. Or watch it first. Six years old. Yeah. Would you recommend people watch this movie? Uh, So-so. Ah, okay. See, I have have also a uh, similar reaction or or attitude toward it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, shall I do a bit of a plot? breakdown what synopsis let's do it okay so leolo is like a 12 year old boy in montreal sorry let's start with leo leo lozon is a 12 year old boy in montreal they're living in like a really poor section of montreal and he doesn't really think too highly of his family members he thinks they're crazy he thinks his father in particular is crazy um and uh, there is a history of mental illness in their family. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he starts to dream about um, about another identity for himself. He believes that his real father was uh, is is from Italy, and uh, and through um, circumstances, uh, his mother was impregnated by a stranger from Italy. So uh, he a virgin this, birth, so to speak. <laughs> does that is that technically a virgin birth um i think so or an, well, or an artificially inseminated birth yeah well un, there's, un, there's, unwittingly artificially inseminated birth yeah. <laughs> so he adopts the persona of leolo instead of uh leo and it's about him growing up and he kind of goes about his day with his crazy family, he hangs out with his older brother, and uh, he also believes that his grandfather tried to kill him, uh, tried to murder him once. Yes, Leolo has. I, well, I feel uh, I feel like it's I feel like it's established as fact that that did happen. Well, that's where that's where I think you have to recognize that Leolo is an unreliable storyteller, right? And I, I think there's questions about what he is telling you, the audience, and and what really happened. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's the, certainly the scene is uh, is depicted as uh, an attempted murder. <laughs> yes, um, Leolo also has a crush on a neighbor, so it, it's uh, an Italian girl who is, seems like she's in her uh, later teens. Um, but Bianca. He, he, uh, and he fantasizes that Bianca is um, like waiting for him in in Italy or something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Have I missed anything crucial in this uh, in this plot rundown? Yes, he is a writer, mm, and okay. and yeah. he's he's kind of writing down these stories about his life and these dreams that he's having or these fantasies that he's having, and some old dude that might be him as an old man i don't i don't know if it's established who that guy is and i just wasn't paying attention but um this old man is collecting these writings and archiving them i guess and and kind of taking pleasure in reading them i don't know yeah and he comes back once in a while to uh as you say he's like he he is the narrator i think this old guy uh, well, it's alternately the old guy or Le- Leo. Leo. Yeah. Okay. The old guy also comes to the house and he uses that book to prop up the, the short leg on the table. And is that the book that Leolo ke- uh, keeps referring to? Yes. The one the okay. one that he reads all the time in the house because it's the only yeah. book that they have and right. his family doesn't, doesn't have any interest right. in reading. Um, and, and he and he that. also he also shows up at this at Leolo's school at one point to recommend yeah, which, to recommend that his teacher should should take take more interest in his writing and the teacher basically mm-hmm. tells the guy to fuck off. 
um yeah because the teacher says like oh anyone from that family has no chance of being anything um i wrote down the name of that book did you write down the name of that book lavalet des avalet or something like that do we know anything about it so the the writer of the book is Réjean Ducharme, who yeah. is a Canadian novelist and playwright who lived in Montreal. Um, oh, he died in uh, 2017. The, so the English title is The Swallower Swallowed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the, the line that Leo or Leolo often quotes, which is, I dream so I'm... Um, and I'm paraphrasing because I, I went off of the uh, English subtitles, but it, I dream, therefore I I am not. Yeah, the, or yeah, I wrote that down as well. I think the way the way that it was it was transcribed in my subtitles was because I dream I'm not, which is interesting because it is uh, it's him it's the character declaring that he would rather not exist in his situation he dreams about not existing in his situation i I don't think it's or or do you think it's about i I wish i was dead um no well like he kind of he usually he'll he'll come back to that line in the context of like some someone in his family labeling him a certain way and then he'll say because i dream i'm not like Mm -hmm. there's there's different ways in which it comes up i guess but um yeah i guess it could be read a number of ways so as a tale of a young man growing up this one is kind of depressing no yeah and and like dark and kind of sexually strange yeah um i was uh i was trying to understand the context that this movie exists in so I just did a quick Google search for movies that came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Dr- Canada, Jurassic Park. Is it? Oh, was Jurassic Park that year? I think. So. Mm-hmm. It, I think it was 93. close, right? 92 yeah. or 93? Okay. Well, from Canada in 92, uh, there was Naked Lunch and uh, Guy Madden. Oh. Guy Madden's film Careful. Okay. Um, in the rest of the world, generally talking about cinema in 1992 um there was batman returns benny's video by uh, michael haneke the crying game damage hard-boiled the um john woo movie Mm -hmm. malcolm x orlando the player reservoir dogs twin peaks fire walk with me wayne's world and unforgiven Mm. i don't know why i was looking this up i was i guess i was trying to find a theme about what was going on in the world or in pop culture that would inspire something like Leolo. And I, just doing, looking at that list, I couldn't really find anything other than it's kind of kind of a time when filmmakers are into dark stories, maybe. Mm. Well, I don't know. Thinking of Naked Lunch, I, I do see some similarities there just in terms of um, like a, a, an aspiring writer versus a novelist in William Burroughs narrating a story perhaps unreliably and there's elements in both of kind of playing with reality mm, okay um i have seen careful have you seen careful yes yeah that's the one in like the german town and there's incest the, um well the incest doesn't make that movie unique from his others but is <laughs> is that the one where the the villagers are afraid of an avalanche so they're always talking softly yeah right <laughs> um, um i wanted to just read an excerpt from uh from an essay that roger ebert wrote and you can find it on rogerebert.com but he was uh, doing a an essay series called the great movies uh, so he would select a movie that he had reviewed previously and and just do another um, another assessment of it um, when he felt it deserved to be called a great movie. And this is what he wrote about Leolo. When a great movie exists all by itself, it is in danger of being misplaced. We tend to want it to belong to the life work of a director or in the mainstream of a genre. Yet some films are singular, like Lawton's Night of the Hunter or Jodorowsky's El Topo. Either you find it or you never do. You have to approach it directly, not through other films. So that idea um, that it is a 
singular movie, um, I think maybe better approximates my feelings about Leolo in that I, I don't know how to adequately compare it to other movies, yet I, I admire that it is what it is, that it's like this, it seems like an uncompromised vision of something. Hmm. I don't know. To me, that description just kind of makes me feel like it's, I don't know, it, just, it just feels like a cop-out. It feels like which? It feels like a cop out. Um, yeah, I don't know. A that, cop out. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. it it just feels like. I mean, I mean, to a certain degree, some things don't fit into a typical framework, and therefore you you have to look at them singularly. But I also feel like I feel like what he's really saying is this movie connected with me very personally, and. I might not be able to articulate why, so it's just a singular thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. I, I obviously I can't read into what Ebert's intentions are or what his subconscious intentions are, but um, that's just the response I have to that statement, I guess. And maybe that's okay. because I'm kind of I'm trying to understand why this movie is is beloved or, or why it would be on his great movies list because it doesn't it do, it didn't connect with me. In that way, okay. Um, do you think it? Do you think you might feel differently about it after a while? Because you you watched it very recently. Yeah, that that's certainly possible. I, I mean, I watched mm-hmm. it this morning. Yeah, um, okay. but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, I guess maybe you can talk about what that statement means to you, or 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 what uh, not not talk about i don't mm-hmm. know i'm not telling you what you need to say but um you, i don't know just no, you're, no you're, i can explain yeah but your your statement that that you don't necessarily know how to relate it to other movies like where does that come from or what about the movie yeah. makes it hard to, okay. to do that yeah okay well let's look at it um firstly in its genre i guess which is um the story of uh, a young boy growing up um, I guess I want certain things from that type of a story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I want to have something that says this protagonist has potential that you, you, you care about where he's going. Um, I want him to have a talent that, that says like, wow, that, that gift of youth that you want to see nurtured or you want them to, to bust out of their uh, predicament. I, I want to see them discover something about the world and their place in it i want um i want them to have mentors i want them to overcome obstacles so those are things that i I think i would find satisfying if i uh was watching or or reading um that type of story right Mm -hmm. and because the, the movie leolo doesn't give me those things like i don't know if that is dissatisfying for me or if it is just another way to approach that story that i have to accept in this in this case uh from this storyteller so part of my frustration with the movie is that in the end leolo is denied agency um his fate is kind of sealed and i find that very frustrating um as as somebody who wants to uh to sympathize with the protagonist but but that's not necessarily a mark against the movie. Like, if the movie chooses to do that, if the if the director chooses to go that way, it's not. It doesn't actually make the movie worse. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, and it certainly is interesting in the ways that it that it does kind of go against that typical genre, and even even the way I'm just thinking the way that it uses popular music doesn't really conform to like kind of placing it within a certain time period or anything like that because the only the only recognizable popular songs that i noticed in the movie other than the the italian one which i don't i'm not familiar with um were i I don't know what the name of the tom Waits song was but that that i think there might be two different tom Waits songs they they show up at various points throughout the movie and then the rolling stones you can't always get what you want which um 
both of those would be far removed from the time period that this movie takes place in, I presume. I, d- I don't know that it's actually established when it takes place, is it? I don't think it's established, but if we went off of um, the publication of that book, I, I think it's the 60s. Okay, yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe this you can't always get what you want did exist? Possibly, but but it doesn't necessarily have to exist in the in the time frame of the story. Right. right? Um, but yeah, I guess for me... Overall, while I found those kind of non-traditional elements interesting, I think I think frustration is a good word to use just because I I don't know why I'm watching this kid grow up and what I'm supposed to get out of it or what he's getting out of it other mm-hmm. than other than just to explain or or to relay the the experience of being in poverty and not being able to get out of it. But yeah, I mean, there's like, there's no real arc for his character. There's no clear beginning and ending, I don't think. Like, it just, it just doesn't really conform to any of those, any yeah. of those things. And um, I guess for me, it just, it just felt like it was kind of meandering and, and not really sure what it was trying to communicate. And, but then also, it, it, it did feel like it was very sure that it was an important movie and that it was, a story that needed to be told and and um i don't know that necess- that pretension is necessarily the right word but it just felt like the people making it wanted to get across that this was this was a work of art and that you know like bring, bringing it into the the sort of literary world in the sense that he's he's narrating he's he's writing trying to almost elevate it above a movie in a way okay um, okay. Now, do you, do you do you know anything about the director, Jean Claude no, Luzon? I do not. So, also, it's noteworthy that his protagonist uh, that that is the family. They're the Lausanne family. So he names it after he names the family after himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wonder how much of it is is meant to directly relate to his his own childhood, or if it's just like like a you know like a, a hyper realized version of his of his um, childhood memories. Um, but um, from what I could just glean quickly off of uh, the internet. Um, so he also grew up in poverty and his family did suffer from mental illness, um, except for his mother. He was a high school dropout until um, he found a mentor who encouraged him to, um, to pursue filmmaking. And uh, he went to university to study filmmaking. And, Leolo is uh, his second of two films. So he also made Night Zoo, which was, I haven't seen it, but it was, uh, uh, it is a much celebrated Canadian movie. And he made Leolo, and then he was killed in a plane crash in 1997. Um, So we don't have anything else to like examine in terms of his, in terms of his uh, creative work to, you know, give us clues about what he's up to. And I'm tempted to feel that this movie is very personal to him, that maybe he is exorcising some resentment about his family. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that there's any weight in the theory that it is a uh, political allegory? Uh, Because one of the things I read was that um, some critics said it was a statement about the the, the Quebec um, separatist movement. Okay. That Leolo, um, that he he declares he's not French Canadian, that he's Italian, right? Um, is a way of making a a separation between uh, his character and Quebec, right? Um, that uh, that the bully who um, who menaces uh, Leolo's older brother, that he is English speaking, is supposed to say something about how French Canadians feel bullied by English speaking Canada. Sure. I haven't really um, delved too deeply into that theory, but I mean that was that was something that was offered um, in the day, and I think in interviews uh, the director said like, no, he's not a political filmmaker. Right, but I feel like most directors say that, <laughs> or most artists in general, they hide their cards or they're not so explicit about their intentions. Yeah, mm-hmm. but is it is it a story about you know you wanting to reject your situation, whether it's uh, because you feel differently about your community? Um, Quebec, I'm talking about, or or your family, because uh, you know Leolo doesn't want to be associated with this crazy family. 
But if anything does resolve itself in the movie, it's that Leolo has no choice but to accept that he is part of that family. Right. And not in a, um, not in like a, a heartwarming, affirming way either. It's, no. It is, and, yeah, and, it's a and perhaps in the sense of, of it being this omniscient narrator, narrator, it's also, you know, again, whoever this older person is, whether it's, whether it's like an older version of himself or this, this mentor that, that, um, Mr. Lozon had or, or whatever, whoever that character is supposed to represent, that it's not only the young Leolo accepting his fate in the present, but also the middle-aged version of himself accepting his past. And I guess like one of the, one of the constant struggles in the movie is the fact that there is this history of mental illness within his family, but that he doesn't want to succumb to that and that he looks to his mother as this point of light in that she was able to survive it. And, and I think the, the psychologist or doctor or whatever you want to call her in the, in the institution at one point says like, look at your mother. She, she came from a, a, a tough upbringing as well, but she survived it and she was strong. And so I would assume that if you were to get out of that situation, it would be a constant struggle to hold on to your sanity in a way and and hold on to your sense of self and your your ability to be your own person and not be tied to the illness and the dysfunction of the people that you had no choice but to live with in your past yeah that I, that makes sense i think that's where the film arrives mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know i i guess like you say would i think differently having more time away from the movie. Um, I certainly think that's possible and, uh, and that's already sort of materializing in this discussion. And I, I feel like that happens a lot when we sit down to talk about a movie that we're not really sure what we think of it by the end of it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of starts to materialize. And, and especially if it's something where it, where it starts out that maybe I don't like it as much or I like it, but I find out that I like it a lot more mm-hmm. as a result of, of having a discussion with you. I think that's certainly possible with this movie. I guess just that that sense that it's that it, that it feels self-important um, is still lingering with me, and I, I guess I would want to kind of revisit it and and mm-hmm. really examine if that's something that I'm placing on it, or if that's something that is actually emanating from the movie. It could also just be that you know because it's near the top of this greatest Canadian films of all time list, I'm thinking of it as, oh, this must be an important work of art. Therefore, is that what the movie also thinks? Or is that just what the critical community or, or other filmmakers have, have put upon it? Um, that's the other byproduct or consequence of those types of lists is, is um, your expectations of it are, are, are so much elevated. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that certainly colors it. I mean, when I when I sat down to watch it, knowing that it was on the list, um, I just assumed it was like maybe from a filmmaker, a Canadian filmmaker who's like done a whole extensive body of work, and this and was, they, and they know, just arbitrarily picked one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to what you were saying about how it just feels so. Um, yeah. Uh it's it's really confident and it's it just it doesn't feel like someone's second feature. It right. feels like someone who's just been making movies for a long time and is really sure of what they're doing, right? Um on a technical level, I think it's pretty accomplished. I think there's nothing that you could say um that you could point at that goes wrong on a technical level. Yeah. Also like the the art direction and sec- set decorating, I think is really kind of uh, I, I'm not sure if lavish is the right word, but it it just seems so full. Like yeah. it's it's really almost to the point of being overdone. It's it just seems like the resources behind creating this world are um, are like fully employed. Yeah, um, I, I I assume there must have been some neighborhoods in in Montreal that were it had seen better days, so to speak, and they were just able to kind of sneak into them as they were perhaps demolishing them because there were even a few scenes where I don't know if it's his, I think it's his brother is is part of a part of a demolition crew tearing apart some of these old buildings so I feel like that could have potentially mm, aided okay. aided the the production design in terms of yeah 
creating this sense of, of poverty and and um, placing it in a in, in an older time. There's also there was also the Lausanne house um, or the building where their apartment is. I mean that it has looks like it has like secret passages and stuff too. And that washroom is like a is a pretty big set. I was I'm just remembering the scene where Leolo's father is at work and I can't remember where he works but it just it looks really kind of it's it's dark kind of and, like a it almost like a foundry yeah some kind some kind of a factory setting yeah but he's having lunch and so he's eating his sandwich um in the foreground and and behind him is is a toilet it's like a disgusting toilet and dirty walls and stuff so either he's he's eating lunch in the in the washroom or it's just like the kind of setting where all of this uh all this grossness is on display. Um, yeah. But it, it just, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I guess that just makes me think of one of the kind of visual motifs or running themes within the movie, just that I guess the feeling that you're you're never too far from ugliness and that you're you, you can kind of be surrounded by bodily fluids and depravity and and just awfulness at every corner <laughs> yeah yeah that is that, that's the worldview of this movie even when they go to the beach it is looks like kind of a disgusting beach mm-hmm. yeah how do you feel about the character's um sexual awakening yeah that's definitely something that i wanted to touch on especially as it relates to my ability to i guess not not objectively but um my ability to think about the movie separate from my own experience which i don't know if that's necessarily something that i should aspire to or that i need to do but um it was just i guess it was just challenging to watch a lot of those scenes because i feel like his sexual awakening and or or his his experience of observing sexuality i suppose it materializes in this way that is a result of neglect but also i guess just like it it just feels like he's very exposed and um like not not nurtured in that in 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 his sexual discovery which I guess is probably the experience of a lot of people, but I guess just it, from my own experience, um, I was ex- I was exposed to certain things that I probably shouldn't have at at a young age, and um, like that's just been a, a, a constant struggle for me. Um, and so watching a young person in a movie go through a similar experience and not not getting the sense that that he's protected in a way or that. Or, or even that the movie really, really cares about what he's going through. I felt that that just made it challenging to watch. I think. Mm. Okay. There's uh, and there's the scene where there's the gang of boys um, abusing the cat. I think our friend Corbin would uh, uh, probably hate that scene. Yeah, like that. That just did not seem like it was okay at all. Like I, I and I don't, I don't really know what purpose it serves again other than just to demonstrate that he's trapped in this in this environment mm-hmm. but i feel like i feel like maybe there's other ways to do that but even even like when the 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 girl is i guess engaging in some form of prostitution with with the grandfather except that he it turns out that she's just like massaging his feet or clipping his toenails and and he wants her to to like bite them off and that's kind of his sexual kink, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just the, the the fact that she observes him watching the two of them, but doesn't do anything about it. And like that whole exchange isn't contextualized or explained to him in any way. It's just something that he's yeah. experience, experiences and is supposed to sort out on his own. I, 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 I just... I don't like that. <laughs> and, okay. And I don't, yeah. and I don't, I don't, again, just this, this feeling that, that the, that the filmmaker doesn't care or doesn't seem to think that it's, that it's damaging. I don't know. 
and and also also um even just like like how he's flipping through the the nude magazine and like thrusting on the on the liver or whatever it is um like that that whole thing just just based on the age of that actor i feel like is is kind of ethically gray in terms of whether or not you should be getting a young actor to be doing those kinds of things mm, in a okay. movie like so i'm just very conflicted about all of that yeah that that makes sense i understand what you're saying um and yeah. and they definitely strapped a cat to a table and suggested that one of the characters was having sex with it so like just all yeah. of that is very yeah. unsettling yeah it, thinking about some of the staging of those scenes it, it is uh, uncomfortable um i guess the only saving grace um i'm not the only but i'm i mean a saving grace is uh is again that our narrator is somewhat unreliable and as an audience where you could interpret it as as like an exaggerated uh memory of those incidents Mm -hmm. yeah and that and you know that everything else contributing to the movie is just a little bit on the surreal side it makes those scenes seem like they fit in there in a way that they wouldn't in another movie Mm -hmm. and and so it goes back to like this this movie being being what it is it's kind of uncompromised and Mm -hmm. That's why I, I guess I, I have uh, uh, a conflicted uh, attitude toward it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking of, uh, uh, you know, some other Canadian movies that we've talked about, or I guess one of them we haven't talked about, but we, we mentioned Naked Lunch earlier or Videodrome or, or you know, most of, of um, David Cronenberg's output is sexually perverse in some way. Or crash too, but I guess he never he never involves kids, hmm. and um, I, I don't know. I just for me personally, I feel like that's a line that Mr. Lozone crossed as as an artist and as um, as a person who's responsible for the people that he's hiring to make his movie. I, I think that is the wrong he, he he made some he made wrong choices in terms of those few mm. scenes but that's just my my personal reaction to it okay. um, whereas whereas Cronenberg's able to explore similar ideas but I don't I don't come out of it thinking like oh he's he's exploiting his actors or like I don't I don't feel gross after it I guess although I I, I don't know I do kind of Last time I watched Crash, I did feel kind of gross, but <laughs> uh, I'm just looking up the filmography for um, uh, Maxime Colin, who played Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like he didn't have a long career. Um, so his last, uh, according to IMDb, his last uh, movie credit as an actor was in 1997. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I also looked him up. At a certain point, when I was feeling like something, when I was feeling like he was not being treated in the best way possible, or that he was meant to, or he made to do things that a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old actor shouldn't be doing, um, mm. I did look that up and, and noticed that he hadn't done much yeah. after this movie. Yeah. Um, okay, where we go from here? Um, the words so are coming out feel- all weird. Where are you now? Uh, oh. When I need you. Sorry, I I missed what you're referring to. Radiohead. <laughs> okay. Um, what song is that? It's it's another one off the Benz. Uh, it's probably the Benz because the last time that I referenced the song off the Benz, it was the Benz. All right. How do you feel about it being on your um, uh, number five on that uh, TIFF list? Uh, do you object to that or do you think there's a reason for it that will become clearer to us uh, in the future? I guess pessimistically, I think it's on there because it's a period piece Canadian movie with what seems to be a decent budget and high production values. And therefore, it's just by default what has to mm. represent the best of our cinema. Mm. Okay. 
But I like I, there's certainly more to that. But I on my own list, I wouldn't. I certainly right now. But even after rewatching it, I don't know that I would consider it amongst the the cream of the crop. Okay, I I don't know how I would place it in my my you know 100 top films. <laughs> I don't know if it would rank in there. Um, because it almost feels like it is on a separate list. It is just an, an unusual movie that I can appreciate, but um, but I don't know if I'd go back to it. Mm-hmm. But I certainly recommend it. I think it's uh, if you're up for something different and a little bit challenging, um, I think it kind of fits the bill. Now, I was able to get a DVD copy from the public library, um, but it was not like a new DVD. It looked like it was from maybe when it came out. So it, it was even... Um, it was not like mastered in uh, anamorphic video. Okay. Yeah, like true letterboxed, old school letterboxed. Right. Um, so I, so even though it is like a well-regarded movie, I don't know if there, if anyone who owns it is like actually putting any effort into uh, preserving it. Right. Uh, I, think, I think the, I think I rented it on iTunes, and it was it was oh, only three okay. bucks to rent actually, which is pretty good. Um, okay. And it was. It was in full widescreen, so presumably they flipped a switch for the digital release and uh, okay. did that. But um, right, and from what I could see, like his first film, Night Zoo, is not available on home video. From what I could uh, see, interesting. I'd say that's par for the course when it comes to trying to watch Canadian movies. Yeah, that's a recurring theme. Okay, um, shall we? wrap up our talk about this by going to our brand new, not brand new, but our newest uh, made up an arbitrary rating system. Yes. Um, so I'm here, I'm here and you know, word on the street is that people are really liking the new rating system. So, Oh, okay. Well, that's, yeah. uh, that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this new system has us identifying a movie that is, um, well, that, that we can compare it with. We're trying to compare the orange to the orange. And then we will um, we'll gauge this on a scale of uh, minus 10 to plus 10 against that reference point. Mm. Um, do you have a film in mind that you would compare this against? I was, I was initially thinking crazy, just given the sort of coming-of-age French-Canadian period piece, etc. But I guess... It just given your kind of highlighting of the fact that it doesn't really fit to those typical conventions of a coming-of-age story, um, I do think Cronenberg is a better analog. Hmm. Um, and okay. so, I, I don't know, I'm just going to choose Naked Lunch, given oh, given some of the okay. similarities that I mentioned earlier in the episode. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think... I, I don't know. I, I, I guess in simple terms, I prefer the way that that movie relays mental illness and um, I guess a distorted understanding of human sexuality oh. to this movie's. Yeah. So in that sense, I will say that Leolo is. Oh, now before you uh, before you rate it, okay. Um, can I don't know if you realize that this is almost like history repeating itself because in in that year of the Canadian Film Awards, it was a contest between Leolo and Naked Lunch. Oh, and who came out on top? Uh, the genie went to Naked Lunch. Very cool. Yeah, so uh, interesting that we're comparing these two against each other um, 25 years later mm-hmm. uh, when they were they were also competing against each other initially. Um, okay, I like I like where you're going with how they compare. So uh, yeah, so I'm just gonna you... say I'm just gonna say Naked Lunch minus five. Wow. Okay. All right. I guess I'm feeling the opposite way. Um, like if if I wanted to look at a movie with um, with a window into mental illness and uh, and sexual awakening, um, kind of awkward sexual awakening. Um, I'm I would put Leolo as a uh, naked lunch plus three. Very good. 
Hmm. So we got an eight-point spread. <laughs> yeah. Place your bets. I think that's yeah. a good one. I if if we were doing crazy, I would I would have a trouble um, saying like which one. Like crazy is the most accessible one. Right. And uh, and this is like just like a weird version of of that kind of storytelling. So it, mm. it yeah. I think I think comparing weird film against weird film is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Naked Lunch is very weird. It it has been a long time since I saw Naked Lunch though, so <laughs> we should line that up in the future. I really want to talk about that movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also and also and also spend probably half the time just reading excerpts from the book Naked Lunch because it is fucking <laughs> ridiculous if you haven't read it. I haven't. Well, until then, thanks for listening to our podcast, and uh, Alexander, thanks for talking to me about uh, Leolo. No worries, man. I uh, I look forward to it every irregular time period that we get together to talk about movies and then manage to post them on a bi-weekly schedule. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's try to keep it up. Yeah. Um, okay. Our contact stuff was set at the beginning, so I'm not going to do that again right now. But. We want to hear Thank from you. Thank you to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. You can <laughs> use the code. I don't fucking care because we're not actually sponsored by them. Uh, and get $30 off your first order. Just tell them you deserve $30 off the first order. Yeah. It's a good move. <laughs> All right. Like like most internet-based companies, it's actually quite easy to get free stuff from them. So. Speaking of free stuff, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Giving you free shows. <laughs> All right. Cool. Okay. Catch you later. Talk, talk to you next time.